0: Godlings welcome back to another episode of the American Gods podcast we are covering episode three of American Gods head full of snow and we're your hosts I'm Sarah and with me of course is Michael hello everybody so yeah this is a pretty amazing episode wouldn't you say
1: uh yeah this is uh yet another exemplary episode of American Gods I I <sighs> I don't know. It's hard. Is it getting better or is it hard to top perfection? I mean, okay. All right. Let me just, okay. That might be a little bit too much hyperbole. Um, But I think through three episodes of the show, we've witnessed, I think, a steady level of quality, right? You know, you might say one episode is maybe slightly stronger than the next but they're all roughly around, I think, the same level of craftsmanship and quality that you come to expect if you know what you're getting into with a Brian Fuller program, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, they're pretty amazing. Like, it, when you think it can't be as good as the last one, it is, and it's almost a little bit better. I don't know. Like, Brian Fuller has a way of knowing everyone's expectations and then showing them something they never would have thought of. And he does it every single episode and it blows my mind, you know?
1: Yeah, he does. He does a really great job with that. I think one of the strongest things when it comes to his writing is his ability to weave in strong themes that tend to unify all the stories you know, that we see in, you know, the given episode. Um, You know, one of the things that really powers this one here is is belief. Now, this has been touched on throughout three episodes, right? So this isn't the first time we're we're, uh, examining the power of belief. But in this episode, I feel like it takes uh, center stage a little more here. Because in this episode we're watching is a variety of characters find that belief is important. And especially when it comes to shadow, you know, because as he's now at this point in the show, he's beginning to come around to the idea of belief. So now he's
0: not so certain, like before episode one, it just wasn't there. He, it wasn't in him. And you know, the more time he spends with Mister Wednesday, the more it's seeping into him. And is it a product of Mister Wednesday, or is it something that's actually in Shadow himself? That's what we get to find out.
1: Well, you know, and we're going to talk about a lot of uh, this in the uh, this episode here because there are scenes that we're going to listen to. Um, there's clips that I have here for this podcast and uh, the really great thing is that most of the clips that I have are you know, clips that deal with Shadow either confronting this aspect of himself or someone commenting on that aspect of, of himself or the lack of say, belief that he has. Uh, so that's the really interesting thing when it comes to this episode. But there's so many other things, too. Uh, There's the djinn that we've got to get to. There's just there's so much. But oh, my God. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy so far in three episodes. Is that there is uh, this narrative thrust. And yet at the same time, the show never feels like it's going faster than it needs to. It's well-paced, you know. Uh, If you look at this episode as a whole, what really goes on here? (laughs) You know, on one hand, a lot, but at the same time, not very much, you know.
0: Lots of information, but actual progress, they still haven't left exactly where they are. Well, they're leaving, but the whole episode takes place in the same place they left off of last episode. So we still haven't traveled anywhere it's still taking place in chicago and only at the very end are they actually leaving chicago and for another destination it's but the story itself is progressing pretty quickly
1: right exactly you know i mean yeah it is you know but if you look at this episode uh we have you know we have shadow in you know, like said, the same place that they left off with Chernobyl and the sisters uh, shadow and wednesday go to do some illegal possibly illegal and definitely well definitely illegal things <laughs> um and then and then we have you know the coming to america segment right we have the opening to the episode as well which we're we'll going to get to here in a second um you know we got a little bit of stuff with mad sweeney and that's it oh.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to talk about the cameo with Mad Sweeney. Uh, that I'm very excited to talk about.
1: Okay, well at least I know that you're excited because then you know you can take over that portion. You can <laughs> like really that's all you. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I mean, hey, you're you're running this episode this week, so uh, if, me. If, yep. So <laughs> if if you want to, we can just start off. You know, talking about the opening scene to this week's oh my God, episode. Yes. <laughs> and it's a great scene, and we've been looking forward to the introduction of this character for some time.
0: Yes, and oh my god, his voice is incredible. Of course, we're talking about the opening scene with Mrs. Fadil and her death, and how Anubis comes to, you know, guide her to the other side and essentially weigh her soul. And it's great because. Like the small his voice is amazing, but the small touches are great too. That her cat follows her to the the underworld, which is something in Egyptian mythology that cats are able to do. So I thought that was an amazing, and the fact that it was a sphinx cat that was a beautiful touch. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you know, they're prepping us. You know, they're showing us how this ritual. Takes place, you know, we've seen gods alive, like, and who thrive on different beliefs in the living world, and this is a god that thrives on the death. <laughs> and I love that when he's kind of dressed like the Grim Reaper when he's in, you know, the world of the living, and then when he goes into his world, he's in white robes, and that was a nice touch, too. Um, but yeah, so this woman dies, Mrs. Fadil, and he weighs her soul against a feather <laughs> give it a pretty heavy feather and uh, rips her heart right out of her chest and um she starts admitting to the bad things she's done in her life and thinking back about you know, stuff she did that was probably cruel and uh, but her, the good deeds have outweighed the bad and it evens out and so she gets to choose the next world she goes into without actually knowing like what worlds they are and um I think this is my favorite part, is when she's looking into this world, and her cat, like, spartas her into this dimension. <laughs> I was like, that is adorable.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it was great. Uh, I love this scene. You know, it's a very moving scene. You know, when you see somebody has died, you know, and... Uh, he, he, they get taken up to what? To them, it's like, this isn't Queens. This isn't. Uh, <laughs> that line was fantastic. You're climbing, you're climbing up. You're definitely not in Kansas anymore. So, Exactly I was
0: just about to say like that's the New York version of we're not in Kansas anymore,
1: <laughs> right? Uh, so this this whole weighing, you know, uh, ceremony there with the heart and the feather. I thought that was well done. I almost wish. And it's not like it's a bad in any way. I almost just wish, though, that for a second, whenever he weighed the heart and the feather, as they were kind of teetering back and forth, and she looked concerned, I almost wish, like, the camera had, like, zoomed in to her, and we would have seen very quick montage of things that, you know, happened during her life. You know, things that she did, uh, good and bad, Um, you know, almost almost like, you know, like when they say when you die, your life flashes before your eyes. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. Almost
1: kind of like that. It's not a bad thing. And the fact that they didn't include it, I mean, hey, it wasn't in the book, so, you know. It's fine. But, I mean, so I'm not saying, oh, this is a bad scene because they didn't include this. But I just think that would have been a cool touch if we would have seen a visual representation of, you know, her good and bad things which are now being weighed against her
0: yeah so. yeah it would have been nice to see especially like you know, for someone who we're probably never going to see again we do get a lot of insight into her life you know her father was abusive um yeah you know, she doesn't her kids don't have like the same values she does and you know, we get quite a bit of info on her life and To see a little bit more of that would have been cool as well, but I understand, you know, cut it for other things. But, yeah, I totally agree. It would have been nice to see.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And then we go back to, you know, not in a Somewhere in America segment. We're back to Shadow, and um, he... It goes uh, At the time, he goes up to the roof um, and finds the other Zoria. Yep. yep. Zoria P- Palenchenaya.
1: <laughs> right. And we actually have the clip for this. So uh, let's play this clip and we can talk about uh, the things we'd like to or disliked possibly about this scene. <laughs> so uh, here it is.
2: Careful. The buffalo is waning tonight.
3: You're Zoria Polich. The sister that was sleeping.
2: I'm Zoria Polonochna. Yes. And you're called Shadow.
3: What are you looking at up there?
2: I was looking at that. See?
3: The Big Dipper?
2: Odin's Wayne, they call it. And the Great Bear. It is a... thing. It's not a god. Like a god. It's a bad thing. Chained up in those stars. If it escapes, it will eat the whole of everything. So we watch the sky. All day. All night three sisters if he escapes the thing in the stars the world is over like that
3: people believe that
2: a long time ago
3: you're not cold
2: cold doesn't bother me this time is my time my sisters they of their times when is your time your birthday
3: Nah, I, I don't want my fortune told.
2: My fortunes are the best. Virgins have their advantage. And now we have something. Oh. No. You have nothing. You believe in nothing, so you have nothing. You are on a path from nothing to everything. You had something recently, you lost it.
3: My, my wife?
2: Not your wife. Did you sell your head to Chernobog?
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: You keep giving away your life. You don't much care if you live or die, do you?
3: The world's not what I thought it would be.
2: You'd rather die than live in a world with bears in the sky. I can help you. First, you must do something for me.
3: What is it? Gotta fight you, play checkers?
2: You have to kiss me. I have not ever been kissed. I don't know if I like it. We do this now. I. Kissing is disgusting, but but in a nice way, like a blue cheese or brandy. Take the moon. What? Just take it. Here. Don't lose this. Don't give it away. You've been given protection once. You had the sun itself. I can give you the moon. It's the daughter, not the father.
1: Now,
0: you wake up.
1: Okay, so what do we think about this?
0: I think one of my favorite lines is... Kissing is disgusting, but in a nice way, like blue cheese or brandy.
1: <laughs>
0: That's a surprisingly accurate description of kissing.
1: Uh, yeah. You think about the actual act and everything involved, you're like, yeah, when you really think about it, it is kinda disgusting. But <laughs> you know, not altogether unpleasant either. So
0: Yeah, exactly. It was pretty cute. And like, Shadow just did not have a choice in anything. <laughs> He's just like, oh, I'm going to kiss you. And before he can say no, it's just, nope, yeah. there it is.
1: Yeah, I love that line. We kiss now. And boom, <laughs> it just happens. And it's like, it. you know, she's like, I've never kissed anyone before. And so she just does it. Uh, what did you think of the actress in this scene? Did you like her performance? Uh, I thought she was, personally, I thought she was really great. Uh, she had that right mix of youthfulness and, like, someone who doesn't get to really talk to a lot of people, probably.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's, like, a childlike quality to her, yet mixed with, like, a world-weary uh element I Wealth guess of Be-
0: God knowledge right,
1: I mean, because she's been around for so long, you know she is young looking, but she's not young,
0: yeah, I think the actress Erica Carr did a really great job, you know, doing the accent and I'm not sure if that's actually her real accent, so I shouldn't say she's doing an accent. But if she doesn't have an accent, she did a really good job of portraying it. She was a really great actress, very enchanting. Uh, I it's one of those moments where you know I'm live tweeting, and this, it's one of those scenes where I just forget about it, and the whole scene passes by, and I'm like, "Shit, I didn't actually do anything. I have to go back watch it again." <laughs> she was just that captivating, and. Her performance is great. I mean, it's a small scene, but she, it's memorable. Like it, it's going to be sticking in our mind, and she did a really great job. I have no complaints about her acting.
1: No, there isn't any. Uh, I, I love the look of the scene. Uh, there's definitely a very um, magical quality, uh, as there there should be, because the scene in the book is is very similar. I think in the way that it's painted, and uh, very
0: I, luminous I, and ethereal.
1: Right. You know, you're going on top of a roof and there's a, a girl who is looking through a telescope up at the sky. That in and of itself is not anything weird, uh. but she's in an, a robe. Uh, apparently, cold doesn't mean anything to her. And she's talking about this thing up in the sky that if it were to break free, the the whole world would be you know destroyed in a, a blink of an eye. So
0: a lot of info for Shadow to take in all at once. Uh especially when she just goes a mile a minute. Um yeah, it was a fantastic scene. And I I love the little teddy bear on her telescope. That was adorable. Yeah. (laughs) It was a cute little touch. Um it reinforces the
1: childlike aspect. It's seemingly childlike aspect to her character. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and it's um also just a subtle slip in about, you know, you had protection once you had the sun and you gave it away. I'm going to give you the moon. So that lets us know, like, God, what did he have that was, you know, sunny? Oh, the golden coin. It's just hinting at that even from the beginning. So I thought that was really nice for people who haven't read the book and don't know that it's kind of alluding to it and building up to that knowledge. So it was a nice touch.
1: Right. Yeah, I think one of the great things about this scene here, and it's something that I touched on uh, briefly in the beginning of the episode here. Uh, and I said we would talk about this more is when she's talking to shadow and she you know t- tells him that you know he doesn't he doesn't care whether he lives or dies that he has he has no belief uh, he believes in nothing you know and no one so I like that um, because. There has to be a certain level of power and a certain uh, influence that comes with instilling a belief or belief in someone who doesn't believe in anything. You know, like if you can do that, what power does that hold? You know, and so I feel like, you know, she along with Wednesday are kind of softening shadow up a little bit here. Because yep. eventually, he's going to have to come to believe in something. And the moment that happens, that's going to carry a lot of weight. But I think it carries a lot of weight partially because you're, you're giving <laughs> – you're not giving a belief. You're, you're causing somebody who doesn't believe in anything to believe in something. To me, there has to be uh, more power than usual with something like that, that kind of act.
0: Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so Shadow, after this, after the scene he awakens, so he thinks it's a dream. Oh, I should mention you know, he plucks the moon from the sky, or she plucks the moon from the sky and gives it to him and it's a silver dollar. And when he awakens, he still has that in his pocket. But the whole night has given him a bit of, you know, insight and courage and gusto to go up to Chernabog and uh kind of play against his um smarts and play to his vulnerabilities and you know, make him play another game with him and uh, he just kind of plays on the like oh you're old and you know what you haven't you know actually worked at your craft for 30 years and really playing into you know, you're know you an old man you're withering away to nothing kind of thing and very smartly and he actually ends up winning the game of checkers uh, so Chernobog gets one blow to his head but he has to fight for a uh, Uh, mr wednesday and while this is all happening mr wednesday is out walking with zoria and this might be another favorite scene of mine because this is adorable right
1: yeah um in the book you know wednesday has the wednesday charm and he kind of flirts with everybody And, and so you're never really sure how much he likes or cares you know about anybody in particular you know, and with, with Wednesday in the books, here often goes for, you know, the often very, very young uh, you know, girls. Um, but in this scene, we see that, look, there's a history between these two. Obviously, they, they've known each other for a long, long time. And there's a, a friendship and an intimacy. Um, I imagine that they've been together before uh, at least i'm i assume <laughs> as much i wouldn't doubt it um but you, you know you see the the body language it, it's kind of supercharged and they kiss so i mean right, there you go <laughs> you know yeah um you but you
0: know worlds are ian mcshane and cloris leachman kissed, It's pretty pretty awesome
1: <laughs> right but i love the scene with the rain falling and it's like in slow motion and, like, she's looking around in wonder. Um, when you can make somebody who's been around as long as her have that look on her face, I think that's pretty powerful stuff.
0: Yeah, and I think it's both of them can feel the change in the atmosphere. And Mr. Wednesday definitely knows what's happening with Shadow, but Zoria can now feel it, too. Uh, and he even says, like, on Taste on the Rain, it's war. Now he has, like, the hammer. So war is on. <laughs> which I think was just great I mean, to have those kind of parallel to each other. Love it.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and she tells him his fortune. I mean, she says, look, they'll kill you this time. You know, and, <laughs> and if, you don't, if you don't know what they're talking about because you say you haven't read the book, you know, this isn't going to mean a whole lot to you at the moment, but, it, you know, it may in time. Uh, it, or it may not mean anything because, you know, Predictions don't always come true. <laughs> Nothing is 100%. We don't always, you know, see these things come to uh, actually happen. So, uh, but I like his, I don't know, I guess I just, I just like how he treats her. You know, gone, I think for a moment is that, you know, twinkle in his eye of mischief you know, it's more about, you know, he, he's more honest with her, I think, in this scene than he's been with anybody combined, anybody else combined.
0: Yeah, like the young girls, they're just easy, vulnerable prey. But with that, with Zoria, it's she's another god. And he's known for a very long time. And there's this level of respect for her that he would never trick her or try and pull something on her because he values her as an equal. And I think that's just kind of the relationship they have.
1: Right. It's, that's fair. You know, um, well, she's a, a woman of substance, so.
0: <laughs> yeah. Her and Clarice Leachman, <laughs> could be said either way. <laughs> uh, So after this, um, he and Shadow are taking off um, and, you know, he mentions that we're going to rob a bank. Want some coffee? (laughs) It's like, yes, if if I'm going to rob a bank, I I do require coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that's all we see of that. And it goes right to, uh, you know, this really tall leprechaun in a bathroom stall passed out. (laughs) Kind of adorably so with a shotgun in his
1: face. (laughs) Yeah, but but Beth Grant, the actress, uh, back again. Yep. You know, whips that shot, shotgun out, and you know what? <laughs> she has no problems firing that shotgun either.
0: Yeah, and he still thinks luck's on his side. because so you know, tells her like, "It won't shoot me. It'll backfire. Probably lose a couple fingers." And she's ballsy. She shoots it anyways at the glass, and it breaks. And he's like. Ha! Huh. <laughs> it's his first indication that something's not right. Uh, so she tosses him out, um, and Mad Sweeney goes, you know, searching through all his coins that he pulls out of nowhere, and he can't find uh, his lucky coin, which I guess is the one that makes him, you know, a lucky leprechaun. <laughs> He's lost his charm, uh, and he is just melting down. <laughs> Uh, he need- He knows he needs to go find Shadow and figure out what the hell Shadow did with this coin because he was the last one he did tricks for, and uh, that leads us right into Mad Sweeney hitchhiking, and uh, you know this really nice guy comes up and uh, offers him a ride, and I just have like a fit, <laughs> I have a complete fit, like oh my god, it's Scott Thompson. This made me so happy. It was the best cameo ever. I was so excited. It was quickly deflated my excitement because <laughs> he doesn't last long. But it was really cool to see him. He, um, for anybody else who you know watched Hannibal, he is a lab geek that you know is funny and adorable. And it was really nice to see him back in something Brian Fuller. Uh, what What did you think when you saw him? Did you know that was coming, or
1: I didn't know it was coming. You know, but I was uh, really surprised to find him there. But pleasantly surprised because he's one of those actors who, if you see him, you immediately recognize him as somebody that you've seen before. You know, you see actors like this all the time where they're not people you recognize by name, but you're just like, oh, I've seen that person in so many things. You know, bit parts yeah. here, a uh, bit part here, bit part there, supporting role here, um, whatever. And they just happen to work a lot. And because, you know, maybe their, their work is mostly like one-off episodes and small rules and movies and stuff, you know, they happen to just do a lot of projects each year. So you end up seeing them in two or three things every year. And I think this is an actor who is uh, like that, you know, where he just kind of pops up a lot. So... In fact, totally. the fact that we saw him in Hannibal, obviously we know who he is. So for us in particular, <laughs> it's a great moment.
0: Oh, yeah. I was very happy to see him. And the dialogue between them was just great. Like, Mad Sweet's like, are you a rapist? He's like, no. I would have been a murderer. Not recently. You? it's <laughs> just so witty and cute. He's fantastic. He delivers comedic lines so well, so subtly and... And Matt Sweeney hops into his car and, you know, he's going to lay back and rest. He's like, don't touch my knob. It's <laughs> adorable. That's so adorable.
1: Yeah, it was great. I like that line.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then just immediately after, you know, truck in front of them, you know, hits a bump, pole goes flying and goodbye to this nice kind man because he's got a pole through his face. <laughs> And Matthew's just like Are you kidding me. <laughs> it's like it. He doesn't even have the um, the absence of luck. It's now he has bad luck without having any good luck. It's just one side or the other for him. There is no hey. I'm just going through life without luck in the picture kind of deal. It's that no. Nope, you're you're gonna have some a run of bad luck here. <laughs> Life's not gonna be good to you for a while.
1: <laughs> right, and it's not just himself. He's actually bringing this bad luck or whatever you want to call it upon other people because the moment he got in that car, he didn't know it at the time, but, you know, he was basically dooming something bad happening to this guy. Uh, yeah. And, you know, by getting in that car, he essentially sealed his death. So.
0: Oh, yeah. And um. so after that, we go into another somewhere in America. And this is one me and Michael have talked about for you know, the past year, talked about all the time, how in the world would they bring the story of Salim and the Djinn to life when it's so controversial and so explicit? And Brian Fuller, oh my god, he basically just, like, I don't fucking care. I'm gonna make this how I want to. <laughs> and if anyone has a problem, go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> it's so not held back at all. It's, it's so out there. And, like, I was stunned. I thought this Salim and the gym was done incredibly. What about you?
1: Oh, I thought it was great. It was so faithfully adapted from the book. Uh, they pretty much, they pretty much went uh, into this scene and just said, you know what, we're going to adapt the scene from the book about as closely as we can, you know, in a in a TV show. So very faithfully. We don't get every single bit of t- you know tidbit of information that we got in the book, but we do get a lot of it. You know, we do find out that, you know, Salim's brother sent him that his uh, um, doesn't like him very much. Uh, that he doesn't like America uh, because it's, you know, it's d- dirty and noisy and, and all of that. And he goes to visit this guy and, you know, he's, he's not, you know, coming to meet him. He's basically just avoiding Selim. Wastes his time. Wastes his time. And so that's obviously, you know, when he leaves and goes down jumps in the cab and he meets the djinn. <laughs> so, uh...
0: And the second uh, those two are near each other, there's chemistry. Uh, Musa Krish, I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, but, man, you and... I don't even want to try... The other guy's name. Uh, Abtahi Omid. I am sorry if I'm butchering that. I really am. (laughs) But utmost respect to you both. Because the second the two of them are together, there's chemistry. And there's this... uh, God, it's so hard to describe. Because it's sweet and innocent and it's like that you you it's like a first time it really is Mm -hmm. because it's there's a lot of nervousness between them and affection and build up it's not just you know we're going to a hotel room to fuck it's a build up there's love in there and care and you know the two of them share something that nobody else understands and ah, it's so well done I, I was so in love with this.
1: Yeah, there's this uh, moment in the cab where the Jin has fallen asleep, <laughs> and he, uh, Salim, reaches out his hand, and he it hovers above the shoulder, like an inch away, and it stays there for like three or four seconds, maybe more than that, before he finally, you know, touches the djinn on the shoulder. And it's such a well-done moment because most of the other shows would have just had him reach out and roughly, you know, shake the djinn's shoulders and wake up or something. You know, with, whereas this, it was by touching the djinn, he kind of makes the first move in this relationship. Um, yeah. You know, be lying the timid person that we see in the show up to this point, he kind of has the courage to actually reach out. And, and, you know, grab this guy's, this guy, I say guy, this Jin, <laughs> uh Jin's shoulder and, and shake him awake. Um, I, I like the elevator scene. Again, you know, words aren't spoken, but there doesn't so need to be. They know what's going to happen.
0: And um, the hand touch. Yeah. I mean, it, it, from Salim, you know, it's great. He reaches over his hand, but there's just second of a thumb caress from the gin. Mm-hmm. That just makes it. It totally makes it. I'm so in love with this. I'm yeah. living for this.
1: <laughs> right. And then just the scene in the hotel, you know, it, it like I view it like I view the Billquist scene. Where well, I feel like Brian Fuller's sensibilities in his artistic uh predilections work in the favor of scenes like this you know we if we go back to hannibal for instance uh you know spoiler alert but you know there are you know sex scenes in hannibal now they had to be more creative right because they were on network tv so they had to be really creative with how they did those scenes um and so they ended up using a lot of uh Uh, cuts and where scenes would fade into one another. And there was a very uh, almost psychedelic ethereal quality, you know, to those scenes because they had to be, you know, you had to get across what was going on without uh, ruffling too many feathers. Uh, So that is actually taken to the extreme of the situation, but without the worry of censorship. Uh, but at the same time he knows when to he knows when you, they're going too far and when i say that i don't mean that in a prudish way i think he knows that, that the best way to do scenes like this or do the scenes of bilquist is there's a difference between and this you know obviously extends to david slade the director i mean he's obviously having conversations with with brian fuller and how you know maybe this should be done um but I feel like there's a way you can shoot these where it feels respectful, not exploitive. Yeah, there's a difference
0: between pornography and pornographic.
1: Right, right. So, you know, like the Bilquis scene, they could have just, they could have amped that up to 11. They could have done it way, you know, they could have been going for shock and awe beyond, you know, maybe the shock and awe from the scene to begin with. And the same (laughs) goes for this one here where they really could have taken a few steps further. But they chose not to because they knew that, um, you know, this this has to fit into the show. And, it, you know, if, if you go too crazy, it's not going to feel like it belongs in the show. It needs to still feel like it the aesthetic of the scene fits in with the aesthetic of the rest of the scenes in the episode, you know. So, yes. uh, and I feel like they did that really well here. The performances were great in this scene. Um, there was a lot of tenderness. Um, I, I just think it was really well done.
0: Yeah, I have some factoids about this scene. Okay, um, Brian Fuller didn't direct the scene, so originally, this originally what was done wasn't what aired, because Brian Fuller's comments were after watching the scene were, unless this guy is a candy cane for a dick, those positions aren't gonna work. We have to reshoot it. Cause everybody else is straight. Brian Fuller's the only gay man working, uh, on this. And he's the one that didn't, wasn't taking part in this scene and directing it, which I find kind of funny. So, uh, they actually had to reshoot most of the sex scenes because it's just not what an actual gay couple would do, according to Brian Fuller, who <laughs> we can take his word for it. Uh, but yeah, and, so I thought that was funny that these poor guys had to redo this. And kudos to them. Um, at least they've known each other for, I think, a decade, they said. Uh, so they're pretty comfortable with each other. And they both had a discussion about what was okay before going into this. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that, that would be an awkward scene to shoot when you're... You, know, you two straight guides who never had this experience in your own lives before but now you have to portray it i mean there's definitely a lot of vulnerability in there so kudos to them big time because they did a really good job
1: yeah i mean that's definitely true because you don't know i mean you're professional actors but you know you're still people and it's still nerve-wracking and and just scary you know and obviously it's not something that some cultures see uh, in a very positive light, right? So, it,
0: oh, you can get beheaded for this in some cultures, right?
1: Exactly. So, you know, it's a scary thing, um, all the more so for certain cultures. So, it it's incredibly courageous on a completely different level as well. So, yeah. but it's good that they, you know, had this this you know decade long relationship as friends uh, that they felt comfortable enough that they could do this scene, do it justice, and everything was, you know, okay, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, um yeah, they did a really great job, uh, and there's been a lot of debate over, you know, what happens at the end, and there's been a lot of debate about that in the book as well because it's kind of left up to interpretation, you know? Did they pull a Freaky Friday and switch bodies? You know, did the Jinn's powers just transfer to Selim and I've always looked at it like this. If you know, Neil Gaiman made a point of describing, this is like the most graphic part of the scene, but the taste of the gin semen. You know, it was fiery and burned Salim's throat, and it's shown here in the TV how it's going through his body, um, and I kind of take it that it's in the artistic fashion of, you know, it's kind of taking over him, right up to his eyes, and it's the transference of power. You know, the djinn says he isn't a genie, which is true, but in this world, it's based on the predication that we keep gods alive through belief. And what do Americans believe in? A fucking genie who lives in a lamp. Now... Does the taxi not look a little bit like a golden lamp? <laughs> yeah, I believe you know, Salim's life is a sacrifice for the djinn to be free, and Salim has now taken the reins and will, until somebody else comes along with that power, you know, be transferred to taking on the djinn's role. I think that's kind of what's happening there.
1: Right, and I, I always believe that in the book as well. Um, it wasn't very very explicit but i always assumed in the book that that's essentially what happened here um, i do like that if you look at the id for you know the jinn the id doesn't even look like the jinn himself and of course it else. doesn't look like Salim. and i think this is a nice little commentary on how you know we look at some cultures the people and they all talk, they just all look the same does <laughs> like there's no difference so like nobody's going to look at this id and say oh you don't look like this person they're just going to look at it and say oh yeah yep okay whatever and and i think it's it's kind of a slight commentary there on our inability to um you know notice differences uh facial and otherwise uh, in a specific culture you know, so.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So yeah, that wraps up the gin. Pretty amazing stuff. Um, we go right to Wednesday and Shadow discussing how to rob the bank, and you know when they're in the bank getting these deposit slips, you know, Shadow, uh, d- definitely trying to hide his face. You know, we it's maybe it's alluding to what got him in jail. Of course, he does say that you know casinos is what you know got him but uh, maybe there's something with the bank as well um and i guess we get to see media for like a split second because like the camera kind of has an eye that you know turns out and i kind of take that as being media popping up what do you think
1: yeah i think it's just a very quick little like almost like hey it's me and that's
0: hey we're still watching you
1: (laughs) and that's it you know
0: yeah and so when they get out of there uh Mr. Wednesday goes and buys him a hot cocoa and one of the best lines is uh he's like do you want marshmallows in it here I got you marshmallows like like I'm worried about marshmallows yeah I like marshmallows yeah (laughs) Yeah. that was so adorable
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that's pretty awesome um (laughs) you know when it came to this scene throughout this episode I was worried I was kind of worried that they were going to change You know how they did this from the book. You know he says I'm gonna go. We're gonna rob a bank, and I'm just thinking like something Ocean's Eleven style craziness. (laughs) Uh, And so I was pleasantly surprised that it you know they didn't change anything. That this is actually what was in the book, and they did it such they did such a great job here. You know they really did. It it felt like it was straight off the page. uh, You know. I think Ricky Whittle does this fantastic job of Shadow being reluctant to wanting to take Mm -hmm. part in this. And then the moment the phone call, you know, he picks up the phone, he jumps into the character and does a great job.
0: Yeah, he's just like, it's like a light switch, you know, he can be, you know, Shadow not wanting to have any part of this. But once, like, it's happening, he's all in. And just pulls it off, you know, without a hitch. He does a great job. Uh, I always like that. And so many scenes in this episode are just straight taken from the book. Zoria, Salim robbing the bank. Most of it is just taken right from the pages, I think. Probably Brian Fuller and uh, Michael Green were, you know, (laughs) having a good time this episode because they didn't have to do too much. Just, you know add a bit more here and there and most of their work was done because a lot of it's word for word too down to like the names and everything uh so it's nice to see that because i'm as a book reader it's great i mean i love seeing you know what i've read and what i've dreamt of how you know these scenes are going to play out come to life and and it's not like you know you know what's going to happen because yeah you know what's going to happen but with brian fuller you When you get to see it come to life, it's so much different, especially when it's this kind of material. So I love it. I'm so happy.
1: (laughs) Well, a smart writer knows when to put the ego aside. They know when the quality on the page is so strong that they don't need to find a way to you know, uh, put their own spin on whatever dialogue or whatever scene uh, is from the book. They feel like they have to change something. Sometimes they change things for the sake of changing them just so that they have ownership of that particular scene. Now, you know, it's not just, Oh, we're taking this straight off the page. we're going to change some stuff around so that I don't feel like I'm just cutting and pasting, but sometimes cutting and pasting as a, as a writer, if you're adapting you know, material is the best thing to do. And I think a lot of writers that do adapt books often make changes. The ego gets involved, you know, they're trying to make it their own in uh, adapting it, and often fail to realize that sometimes just adapting it straight off the page without doing too much, uh, adding too much, or changing too much is the strongest thing you can do uh, for the movie or TV show that you're creating. So, or you're writing the script for, it, at the very least. So, I feel like they know when to add more or to take a little bit away, and when to just say, yep, hey, it was in the book like this, and guess what? It's going to be on the show like this. End of story.
0: Yeah, Brian Fuller is great at knowing, like, especially with Neil Gaiman, when you have material that's already perfect, and it's enough to just be able to you know, say, hey, Neil, this is your baby. I just want to put it onto TV, and it's all you. But I just want people to be able to see what I see. And I think that's exactly who Brian Fuller is. He's first of all, a fan who just wants other fans to be able to see what he can see and create magic. And he totally does. Like everything he does is perfection. And he needs to be able to be in charge of all adaptations ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause he's the master of them.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, there's this scene here after, you know, we get past the, the robbery, and so they go um, to well, they're sitting in this chair and they're talking. They're getting photocopies made, and they're mm-hmm. talking about um, the different Jesuses.
0: <laughs> oh yes. Which
1: you know, there's there's the black Jesus, there's the Mexican Jesus, there's the white <laughs> Jesuit Jesus. They look, there's not there's a lot of need for Jesus, you know, around the country. <laughs> so um, you know, I think it's really like a a nice little. Um, you know, again, like a nice little commentary on on how powerful belief and the need to believe is for some people and how powerful that is in their lives. And so I think, you know, again, he's making a point. He's trying to lead shadow down a certain path to where shadow can stop thinking that certain things are crazy and just accept that sometimes things happen in this world that you can't Uh, Control and you can't explain.
0: Yeah, and yeah, just trying to bring back you know the imagination because when life meets imagination, crazy shit happens, and that's what Shadow's missing is that imagination part that you know that belief and just that spark of something not of this world, and that's what he's missing, and that's what Mister Wednesday is going to bring back in him.
1: (laughs) Right, right. So you know he has. Shadow, keeps telling Shadow uh, within the last like 10 minutes before this scene happens, you know, to think of snow, think of snow. I see there's clouds over there. I need those clouds to be here. I need you to think of snow and nothing else. And so Shadow kind of drifts off a little bit here. And when Wednesday wakes him up, it has snowed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, magically snowing. When I wish I had this ability, I love snow. I want to be a god who can control snow. That's that's pretty amazing talent.
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah. So
0: this is definitely Shadow, you know, internally at war with himself over, you know, what he thinks and what he believes is real. Because did he make that? Did he himself make that snow, or is it a side effect of traveling with Mr. Wednesday and his strange abilities that are unexplainable? Right. He's struggling with that. Right.
1: Uh, I mean, this whole discussion, the thing we're talking about here, you know, it it leads into uh, this scene here. Hmm.
3: I love this place. Food's not particularly good, but the ambience. Uh, unmissable. Come on, eat up. Can't rob a bank on an empty stomach. Oh, I'm not hungry. Who says you have to be hungry? Do we? Wasn't supposed to snow today. Wasn't even supposed to be cold. So you're perfectly okay believing that tiny people on television can predict the weather. But you crinkle with consternation at the mere suggestion that you could make it snow. One of those things is, is science, okay? The other this fantasy. You're talking about... it like it's apples and oranges. It's not apples and oranges, okay? It's, it's reality and fantasy. Oh, so that's how the world works. It's either real or it's fantasy. Yeah, that's how the world works. Yes, yeah, as the man who hasn't seen it. Shadow, at best, you suffer from a failure of imagination. We're gonna have to fix that. Uh-oh, look where the goat dragged in. Yeah. Goat, big rank, stinking goat, mad sweetie. You look like a man who's falling on a hard times from a great height. Thought I wasn't gonna see you until Wisconsin. I'll never make it to Wisconsin, not with the current state of my luck. This cunt's got my coin. Give me my coin, cunt. The coin you gave me? Witness, he has a point. I gave you the wrong coin. The one I gave you was my lucky coin. Well, you can't afford to be too careless with a lucky coin. Something like that you want to hang on to? I'll tell you what. I'll give you a lucky coin back when you tell me how you plucked it out of thin air. I plucked it out of thin air is how I plucked it out of thin air, you buggy nonsense. Now give me my coin. I threw it away. Where? Did you throw it away? Eagle Boy in Indiana. So, if you want your lucky coin back? make your way to Piper's Cemetery. There you'll find my wife's grave. A little coin on top. Oh, you fucker. I Suppose I'll just be one more in a long line of men to climb on top of your dead wife. Be nice. nice. I'll see you in Wisconsin. Yeah. Good luck, Mad Sweeney. I'll see you back in the car. Just make sure he doesn't steal it.
1: Okay, so they're sitting there. They're having a meal. You know, uh, Shadow, (laughs) he's... He just doesn't want to believe. You know, he doesn't think that anything is possible. You know, he's like, look, some people are just crazy in this world. And... You know, I know what crazy is, I know what crazy isn't. And and he just he can't he can't accept it right now. Uh but you know, Mad Sweeney Mad Sweeney.
0: <laughs> At least he made it there. Yeah.
1: He didn't die on the way. That's a positive sign. Uh, but I love this scene here because Sweeney obviously he knows what he's lost. You know, we saw earlier in the episode where after the accident he was like pulling the coolants out of his pockets. He's like, well, no, no, no. He knew immediately what the, the problem was and that was you know he had given his lucky coin to shadow shadow of course got rid of it and now he has to go back to you know visit shadow's dead wife apparently he's going to be yeah. the, la- the, the latest in a long line of men who've done just that
0: god he has got a mouth on him and it was a great line i was like oh shadow's gonna like Fork you or something, or I guess chopstick you because they're eating Chinese food. But you're pushing your luck that you don't have, buddy. <laughs> like, but it was a real good line. And I just love Pablo Schreiber as Mad Sweeney. He's perfect. Everything he does.
1: <laughs> oh, he is. He's great. He has that perfect stare. The yep. physicality of the role, the body language. Uh, he, he embodies that kind of half-crazy uh, half-sadistic, half-charming, I guess third-sadistic, third-charming, <laughs> <laughs> you know, guy, uh, leprechaun. Uh, he, he could probably charm people if he wants to, but most of the time he doesn't care to. But no. he's just, he's got this physicality, which is perfect for the role, because Sweeney is a physical specimen in the book.
0: Yeah, seven-foot-tall leprechaun. Definitely uh, someone who's eye-catching. <laughs> yeah. uh, so after the scene... Um, Mr. Wednesday and Shadow are driving in the car. Um, and they're discussing what happened. You know giving shadow he, Mr. Wednesday gives shadow his you know his cut. Uh, well, they're talking well, about
1: actually you're missing. you're missing the actual remember, the actual robbery happens after this scene.
0: Oh, yeah. That's
1: right. So, so
0: <laughs> I guess we should talk right, about right,
1: that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I've jumped ahead a little bit. So, yeah, so this scene, of course, plays out just like the book. And I mean, we mentioned earlier, you know, how I was pleased that this hadn't changed. You know, they didn't come up with some kind of crazy new, you know, updated version of this kind of heist or con that, that uh, Shadow and Wednesday pull. So, something
0: else right from
1: the pages. Right, right from the pages. So, again, you know, Shadow is told, you know, stand at this this phone uh, booth um, that he's going to get a call, uh, whereas uh, Wednesday is going to be over doing his thing, collecting uh, deposits from people, cop car pulls up, you know, they're obviously in- –
0: Shadow starts freaking out. Right, because he
1: thinks that's it, we're done. Um, but, you know, obviously Wednesday is well-practiced, calm in. he knows what he's doing, so he's very smooth, you know, he hands the business card to the cop, cop calls the number, and of course, Shadow, in a display of dexterity that I didn't think he had, if I hadn't read the book, at least, um, you know, manages to jump into this rule that he's supposed to, he calls himself, uh, was it Andy Haddock?
0: Andy Haddock. Andy Haddock.
1: And uh, from the moment he says his name, he calms down. He gets into character, just like he does in the book. And I think Ricky Whittle did a great job here of kind of blending this guy who's terrified like 10 seconds ago. Now he's in character and he's doing what he's got to do. He's saying the words he has to say and it's working out perfectly. And yes, they both walk away with a nice bit of loot shall we say?
0: Yeah, more than a bit of just, you know, Mr. Wednesday's magical abilities seem to be wearing off on Shadow, because all of that came to him rather quickly, and you gotta think that might be another product of his association with Mr. Wednesday. Or, perhaps this is a gift he's always had, and that got him in trouble in the first place. We don't know yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but I I do like the scene, and I like how you know it plays out. I think it's just well done. Uh, it's not a long scene it only takes a few minutes but you know they do a great job of you know showing that shadow is actually a pretty intelligent guy and when given a chance he can surprise you and so yeah. i think that's kind of the point of this scene is to show us that you know shadow is a pretty smart guy and he can do, what do ne- he can do what needs to be done when it's required so you know like that exactly uh which then of course leads us into this next (laughs) scene here um they're driving down the road they almost hit a wolf who's standing in the middle of the road pretty wolf yeah and the wolf kind of looks at them uh looks at wednesday wednesday kind of chuckles and the wolf turns around kind of you know runs away and instead of like stopping on the gas and get moving again right when wednesday is is sitting there and shadow just says did you know did i make snow and uh yeah so that's a question it's an important one so listen to this scene and we'll talk about it did i
3: make snow did you make snow Well, if you choose to believe you made snow, then you get to live the rest of your life believing that you can do things that are impossible. Or you can believe it's a delusion. No, see, delusions feel real, okay? That's why it's a delusion. None of this feels real. It feels like a dream. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to dream when you're not asleep. (laughs) I... I've crossed enough paths to know that one in four people are rock stupid. Even the smart ones have got some kind of delusion they believe in, whether it's gods or ghosts. Do you believe in love? Yeah, I believe the shit out of love. Did you always? Not before Laura. So you didn't believe till you did, and then the world changed because you believed. Belief is only a product of the company we keep and how easily we scare, and you do not scare easily. And my company is questionable. Always has been. The only thing that scares me is being forgotten. I can survive most things, but not that. The very best part of memory is it's mostly about forgetting. We remember what's important to us. I wonder what'll be the first thing that drifts through your mind when you look back on this evening. Snow. I bet.
1: Okay, so what did you think of this scene?
0: It was a fantastic way to kind of wrap up the end, um their discussion. I do want to mention really quick about the wolf in the road. Um, uh, it, it, it's p- who it might be. Uh, it could be a number of things. The two strongest options are that it's something to do with, of course, Mr. Wednesday, Odin's mythology. Uh, he had companions, Frecky and Gary. Uh, and then that could be them, like one of them. Uh, or it's inspired by some kind of Native American myth, like uh, like the Buffalo and Shadows' dreams. Like he could be just another one of you know the Native American uh, kind of myths. And I'm curious to see if that wolf pops up again because I wouldn't be surprised, would you?
1: I think it could. You know, it could be a one-off moment, but at the same time, it also could be something reoccurring. I don't know if it will, but then again, we could also see a variety of other animals or creatures uh, as the series goes along. So, yeah.
0: yeah, I have expected like Will Graham to come out of the woods, being like, <laughs> "Hey, Poppy, do you want to be adopted?"
1: <laughs> walk up and say, uh, "Hey, where's the? Have you seen that stag?" You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> I
0: was like, "God, it's been twelve hours since the last I Remember? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so this is uh pretty great here. Uh, it's a wonderful scene. I really like this. Uh, the the line, the line that really is the best here in this whole conversation is the one that uh, Wednesday says because obviously as you hear in this scene, shadows like, look, you know, there's people that are delusional, right? And <laughs> I feel like this is a dream, right? Like I just feel like I'm looking around and I'm dreaming and you know Wednesday says, uh, what a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to dream when you're not asleep. And it's such a great line, but it also serves to tell us, and obviously to tell Shadow, right, that you know this is this is where belief starts. You know, to be able to dream when you're not asleep, to be able to believe in something that doesn't require you to be in an almost unconscious state, so that you know you're dreaming. Like dreaming isn't believing. You know, believing is when you're awake and you can look around and make decisions and rational choices and choose to believe. And so I think that uh, that's what Wednesday is trying to get at here. And, you know, hopefully we'll see, you know, Shadow believe in more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully this goes well for Shadow because we definitely want to see him progress down the path of, you know, will he or won't he? Uh, but belief has a way of, you know, benefiting some and being a disadvantage to others. So I can't wait to see what they, what kind of cards they deal. Shadow. <laughs> of course, we know what some of it's coming down the pike for him. But we know Brian Fuller always has a few tricks up his sleeve.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is a great scene. You know, like I like how they talked about love and to illustrate his point. You know, he was, yeah, you know, saying, "Hey, did you always believe in love?" You know, not before Laura. Laura. You know, but something came along that that made you believe in the concept of love and that holds power, you know, which is kind of the point. Yeah,
0: it's a great, great analogy. Yeah. Yep. Very well you know, written. Great job of the writing. And just the way it's delivered is perfect. The show is just full of that. And it's, it's great scene.
1: Yeah, definitely. But
0: it's not the last scene, though. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, it's not. We have a couple other things here uh, before we get to the very end. um, Mad Sweeney has finally managed (laughs) to get back to Laura's grave. Sure did. And uh, he must have hightailed it, by the way. Yeah. Uh, He gets to the grave. He starts digging. uh, He jumps down in the hole. uh, He starts to to get the coffin, uh, pulls it out, opens it up, and finds, oh, no dead body. Oh, there's a hole that's been ripped through on this (laughs) coffin. And next thing you know, the door opens up. Shadow walks in. Door starts to close. And he is startled. Camera swivels around and we see that it is Laura. And she says, Hi, puppy. puppy." So (laughs) it's uh, a great way to end an episode, to say the least.
0: Especially one that started off with, uh, someone who dies and is accepting death and ends with someone who did die and rejected death. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, pretty well done. Very
1: well done. You know, it's a contrast, obviously, between two characters. Who view death in different lights. Uh, Laura doesn't want to leave because she loves Shadow. Now, you know, the coin, obviously, it, it turns out, is what appears to be the thing that's allowed her to come back i think right because you know he goes looking for the coin coin's not there and she's not there so you know we have to assume that the coin probably had something to do with it now you know the woman in the beginning of the show didn't have a coin but even if she had the option to come back, I think she would have chosen to die. I think she was, oddly enough, ready. She may not have been ready when she did die, but I think in that moment she was ready to go.
0: Yeah, when she knew that her you know life had weighed out, and yeah, that is the moment of acceptance. When you're like, oh, I'm not going to hell? Okay, I accept this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's okay with me. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is a really good episode. It really is... Um, a lot of powerful scenes here, uh, a lot of wonderful themes that seem to uh, get hit on quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, the music is something we haven't talked about much on this show. The music is so well done here, so well done. I, I love, there are a lot of moments where it's very uh, held back, you know, very subtle, just underneath the scene. There the other scenes where they really kind of push the music more. But it always seems to serve the scene, not serve the music.
0: I just—it has this eerie complement to every scene that is classic with everything Brian Fuller does. I mean, Hannibal. It, some of the music was just astoundingly incredible, and it's got the same quality as it does in American Gods, where you almost don't notice it, but when you do notice it, you're realizing just how. It's eerie and a bit unsettling, but it suits with the atmosphere perfectly. And you would never think of those noises to be you know, implicated into this kind of story, but they work so well. And Brian Fuller does that really well. I like everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No doubt about it. Um, I can't wait till the next episode. I just want to see what happens. I know. Uh, just <laughs> really, really want to know. Like it's, it's so good right now that I just want to see it continue to get better if that's even possible. So uh, I love it. So anyway, uh, let's wrap up here and do, I guess, what final thoughts and our grade.
0: Well, before that, what do you think is going to be the next episode? Like, we know it's going to have a bit of Laura in it. But other than that, what do you think we're going to see next episode? Um,
1: I think because Laura's in it, we're going to get a lot of her in Shadow. Obviously, we're going to have a discussion, you know, right away. <laughs> I think we're going to see uh, some form of maybe some flashbacks to Laura and her life or maybe Shadow's life. Maybe we'll get more about who they are, who they were as people before. Um, that's, that's possible. Another possibility is beyond just like a long conversation uh, between the two of them, uh, we could – get a lot more of, like, Mad Sweeney or some other characters or maybe more Bilquis because uh, we didn't really see her in this episode, so... Nope. Yeah, so we might get more of that, but you know, I feel like there's there's gotta be an episode here that that concentrates solely or mostly solely on Shadow and Laura or one of the... or one or the other. Uh, maybe it's just gonna be about Shadow this week or maybe this is gonna be just about Laura uh, but... You know, I feel like that might be the possibility. So,
0: yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be a very Laura centric episode. I even think that the somewhere in America is going to be complemented with uh, her being Essie Tregoan and it's going to be not just her in you know, current times, but she's going to be playing a woman from somewhere in America as well that we've seen pictures alluding to. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we get you know, the backstory with Robbie, what happened and maybe even further back as to when she and Shadow met. uh, We might take a break completely from the gods and have it focus on them. Maybe, I think you're right, probably have Matt Sweeney be a little pissy at her (laughs) and have a talking with her about his lucky coin. But uh, other than that, I do think it's going to be very focused on her. Um, uh, Brian Fuller mentioned also that uh, gods we see in summer in America, some of them will repeat we'll see them again we have with Bill Quist already and he did say that we are going to see Salim and the gin again so I'm curious to see like that was what we had exactly from the book where else are we going to see them I'm curious like who knows what's going to happen maybe they'll be you know in the end all kind of deal but I don't know I'm curious to see what they do there
1: oh yeah definitely um I think there's, you know, obviously a lot of possibilities for next week, but I think those are probably the likely ones. So, yeah. Um, I'm just excited to see the next episode. I just want to get to it. That's really what all I want to do is sit and watch the next episode of American Gods. So,
0: Sunday has to be care festa. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, that means that I'd be back on my work week. So... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Bit of a trade-off. Yeah,
1: but it's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> all right. So uh, I'm going to give my grade and my... My review review uh, well, my, my final thoughts here. So my final thoughts are that the quality in this episode is particularly high. Uh, I think the, the show has managed to uh, stay or exceed a certain level of quality since the pilot. Uh, I feel like uh, each episode is tackling certain topics and themes that they want to target, but they all mingle and intertwine together anyway. Uh, I think it makes for a very compelling show. And a lot of you know wonderful, uh, subtle things going on beneath the surface. Uh, I love the the, the coming to America storyline this week. I was really looking forward to that. We know that. Um, I love the the uh, Zoria um scene up on the rooftop. I really like that. I love the the way the actress really embodied that character. Uh, I like the the heist at the end. You know, I love how that was was done. Very well shot, very slick. Uh, Didn't take up too much time because it's not a really, really important scene. But, you know, it was in the book and people love it. So, you know, they wanted to make sure they did it justice. So, you know what, for me, for the quality of the writing, for the restraint from the writers to know when to just take things off the page and paste them on the script, I'm going to give this... A solid A.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Yeah, This is... I think I'm going to say this every episode. This is now my favorite episode, but seriously, they just keep getting better when you don't think it's possible for them to get better, but I mean it has just this incredibleness to them each episode, and by far, my favorite part is, of course, Salima and the Djinn, and that's something that (sighs) To see on TV, not just, you know, a gay couple. Uh, you see lots of times, you know, women and women gay couples, but seeing man and man, and also getting to see the act, and it's beyond that. as you you're It's with a god, and it's elevated to this level of, you know, it's got intimacy and tenderness and power. It's so incredible to see on TV, and that Brian Fuller... He will not back down. This is something he wanted to be shown on TV. It's something so controversial. Uh, It's powerful. Like we've said, it's something that... An act that in many cultures and countries is something that can get you beheaded. Like, it's hard to even comprehend that. To see it is amazing. The actors, oh my god, you two did the most incredible job. You're troopers, completely. Um... But everybody who is on this show does such an incredible job. Um, Zoria was amazing. Young Zoria. Paula Nushania. Loved her. Loved her so much. And her lines are great. Um, Mad Sweeney. I'm so glad we get to see more of him. Because Pablo Schreiber just does an amazing job. and uh, Yeah everyone's fantastic like i can't say any there's no beef with this episode there's not gonna be any beef with any episode but god this episode was good i i can't not give it an a plus it's an a plus for me okay (laughs) i'm sure it's always gonna be an a plus for me
1: maybe you never know (laughs) Eh, you never know don't 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 give them all a pluses yet gotta watch them first no one's gonna trust our reviews if they already know you're gonna give them all a pluses and you're never gonna find fault in anything that's not gonna to lead to a good podcast here come on
0: <laughs> i'm sorry it's too good well it's not well, my fault. You know, it, could, brian it could
1: go off a cliff next week you never know you know
0: but i do know
1: no, i forgot why well, you have that psychic connection with brian fuller so there's that
0: <laughs> absolutely
1: uh okay uh so sarah uh You know, how can they reach us on the podcast? How can they, you know, send in feedback, emails if they want to, you know, give us their opinion on the latest episode or any of the past episodes or just, you know, tell us what they think about how the podcast is and how we're doing and or how we can improve, you know, whatever. Uh, How can they do that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, anybody who wants to send in feedback or you know, just bring up a topic of discussion that you want to discuss further about the show, we love to talk to fans of American Gods. Uh, anybody who wants to say anything about American Gods, we're happy to listen to it and you know, have a discussion. Uh, you can do so. You can send in feedback or voicemails to Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to tweet at us, it's at americangodspod. Uh, we're also on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash freaking, er, yes, freaking geeks. <laughs> I always have to add the meter or not, but no, it's just freaking geeks. And uh, if you want to check out the podcast on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. That would be amazing because it gets us noticed. And yeah, the more people that notice, the more people that get to listen and discuss about American gods and who doesn't love that. So yeah, absolutely. Send us feedback our way. We love that.
1: All right, everybody. It looks like that's it for this week's uh, episode. So next week, another episode, of course. Uh, It's pretty much every week until the end of the season. Uh, As we get closer to the end of the season, we're going to uh, discuss where the American Gods podcast is going to be going, moving forward as we get towards the end. Obviously, once we get to the finale, uh, we're going to have some time before you know the show is back on the air. So Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about our plans moving forward uh, until next season. So uh, just stay aware that that will be coming down the pike. Uh, But until Mm -hmm. then, until the next episode, have a good one. And we'll see you in the next podcast.
0: Night, godlings.